8. John chapter 10, verse number 1. And then we'll skip down to verse number 10. The Scripture says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. John chapter 10 and verse number 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, if my dear dad was here reading this, he would always put steal, kill, and rob and destroy in there. It wasn't in there, but he said it should have been. I said, well, it was already in there. Steal is in there, but that's the way he always read that scripture. I am come that you might have life. For every bad news the devil has, God has some good news. And that you might have it more abundantly. Amen. Let's set our Bibles down right now. Let's lift our hands toward heaven. Ask God for his touch, his help, his anointing in this place tonight. God, we need you. I'm nothing without you, God. I'm depending on you. I pray that you would anoint me to preach to these young people tonight, God. Anoint the ears and the hearts, the souls of these young people. Speak to their hearts today. Move in their lives right now, God, and we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated. I want to preach to you today for the next few moments from this subject, an inheritance worth fighting for. An inheritance worth fighting for. I was getting ready to preach for Brother Spell um, a month or so ago, and uh, I was kind of contemplating on what I would preach, and it was growing nine to the time, and, and I still did not have anything to preach. And I got home one evening, and I was washing a vehicle, and I felt like the Lord impressed this thought upon my mind and these scriptures upon my mind. And I felt it was for that meeting, and I preached, and I felt very good about it, not ever thinking that it would be what I would preach here, because I thought that I already had it figured out. But in prayer and fasting and, and wrestling with God, I uh, felt very strongly about this tonight, and I want to do my best to preach to you what I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart. I might cross some of your opinions, some of your theories. I apologize for that. But would you let me preach my heart for just a few moments tonight? Amen. Amen. Inheritance, when you start looking at, at inheritance and reading different stories about wealthy people who, who had much to squabble over, uh, it's kind of entertaining and interesting when you start looking at the different things that took place. 
It's interesting in how money will attract people. Amen. Money attracts people. And uh, I was reading some stories about different ones and their inheritance, some strange tales of inheritance. I read about J. Howard Marshall II. His estate was worth a little more than mine. It was at $1.6 billion. I don't have quite that much in the bank tonight. And the amount contested was somewhere around $300 million. J. Howard Marshall, he got his fortune, and he was an oil tycoon. He had $1.6 billion. In 1994, when Marshall was 89 years old, he married Anna Nicole Smith. And uh, she was just a few years younger than he was. And uh, by a few, um, a few years, just, just only 62 years. And this prompted some people to believe that she married him only for his money. I don't know what gave him the idea. I can't figure that out. I've read that over and over. And I, how, how could they not expect it was love? She lived with him 14 months and old Marshall died. <sighs> she cried. She was sad. As she was going to read his will to find out that his son had come in and some way talked his dad out of leaving her his fortune after he had promised. It's amazing in love how these things come up. And uh, so in, in uh, the process of time, I think it was 2007, uh, she went to court, or, or she passed away in 2007, but before that, they went to court and fought over $300 million, which is still up for grabs today, I guess. It went before the Supreme Court. I don't know if they ruled on it, but they don't have a good ruling record right now. So... Don't know what happened to all the money. They might have took it for themselves. Leona Hemingsley had a value estimated at just a measly $4 billion. And she left behind a very unusual will after her death in 2007. The billionaire New York uh, real estate developer and hotel magnate had that's the fortune estimated somewhere of five, between, they said, five to eight billion dollars by Forbes magazine and New York Times. In her request, the majority of her money was given away to charity, including animal welfare programs. I think I'm going to sign up for that. And gave another small amount to various relatives, mostly shocking her the most shocking thing is she left $12 million to her eight-year-old dog. The dog went on a shopping spree, living in luxury. And uh, the trouble to two of her grandchildren, she left absolutely nothing and said, for reasons they will know. And that's all she left in her will. Well, naturally, they went 
to uh, court over this. Immediately the dog had life death threats against him. And uh, it cost $100,000 a year for security over the dog. Money makes people do strange things. I'm surprised somebody... Well, never mind. Let's don't go there. <clears throat> but the uh, a judge uh, reduced the fortune that she left to her dog from $12 million to a measly $2 million. I don't know how the dog is faring today, probably on the happy dog heaven by now. But to her grandchildren, they wound up with $6 million amongst their cell. So the amount contested was $12 million. Ted Williams, great baseball player. The value of his estate is not available, but there was contested. And what was contested in his estate was Ted Williams' body. Now, I'm telling you, when somebody dies, they can just put them in the ground for all I care. I'm not going to have a fight over their body. Don't want them in the corner of my house or anything like that. The circumstances surrounding the baseball great Ted Williams will truly was truly bizarre. In 1996, Williams uh, signed a will stating that he wanted to be cremated and his ashes to be spread at sea. After his death, however, uh, the executor of the estate claimed that Williams wanted to be frozen. Two of his children supported this action, claiming that uh, on a piece of paper written by Williams himself and signed, the three agreed that at death they would all be frozen, according to the article in uh, Associated Press, and be able to be together in the happy ever after, even if there is only a slim chance. The, the eldest daughter fought against this, that her body, the body of her father would be cremated and his ashes spread to sea. Right now, as we speak, or as at the time this was written, Williams is currently frozen, along with his son who passed away in 2004. Oddly enough, William's body is frozen separately from his head. So they got it separated there. So strange things that happen with wealthy people. Because there is some inheritance that's worth fighting for. I wonder tonight if I could get some uh, participation from the crowd... Is there any third-generation Pentecostal young people? Would you stand, please? If there's any third-generation Pentecostals, would you stand? Third generation. Look at this. All right. Now you just remain standing, if you will. Second generation Pentecostals, would you stand? First generation Pentecostals. I want all of you to be seated except the third generation again, please. And I want everybody to take a real good look at this. Third-generation Pentecostals. 
These are the ones I feel that it is very desperately that we focus on. You may be seated. I think winning the lost is very important. I think reaching the lost, I think the bus ministry, I think knocking doors, anyway, giving away free food, whatever we can possibly do to encourage people to come to the house of God is very important. But I want to tell you, we are losing some valuable people in the process of transferring this wonderful message that we have. As reading about inheritance, I read something that I found very interesting and to the point that I would like to make to you tonight, I believe by the show of those who stood up, proves this point very strongly. Research shows that family money rarely survives a transfer very long. The second generation loses the inheritance at a percentage of 70%. That's second generation. By the third generation, they lose their family's fortune at 90%. 90% that inherited family fortunes by the third generation have nothing to show for. Take into consideration the Vanderbilts. <clears throat> 1794 to 1877, the elder Vanderbilt, I believe it was Cornelius, that was the one who assumed more than a hundred billion dollars in today's money. His early heirs went hog wild when he passed away. They built mansions, estates, built more. 250 room mansion in North California. At a reunion in 1973, a biographer wrote that at a reunion of 120 Vanderbilts, descendants included not one millionaire. And they started out with a hundred billion dollars in today's money. I find that interesting. I find that not only interesting, but very amazing and very alarming. I believe that our young people here tonight are our prize possession. I love young people and I'm going to preach for you tonight. I'm going to try my best to help you. I believe that it is something that you are something that we should hold very closely and very, very dear to our hearts. I find it very disturbing 
in even in the ministry. Sometimes the ministry gets so caught up with the things about the ministry that preachers, we forsake our own family. And we leave them without a father and without a mother because we're trying to save everybody else. When we are losing a very valuable part and vital part of the apostolic church. Now don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not against evangelism, but I'm focusing on what we have at the present and what I'm preaching to tonight. There, we, we are looking now, now I, I know, I know some of you might, and, and we always, and I can remember this when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, I can remember this said, and I can remember uh, them talking about this. I don't know what's going to happen with this next generation. They're just not getting it. They can't. They can't grasp hold of. They won't work. All they want to do is sleep. When the ones who was telling me that couldn't remember when they was sixteen years old, that's all they wanted to do was play and sleep, chase girls or chase boys. My goodness, what other good things to do in life? I hope if you're a boy, you're chasing girls. <laughs> and I hope if you're a girl, you're chasing boys. That's natural. <laughs> that brings me... That that makes a thought jump on my mind, and my wife is going to get me for this, but it just jumps on my mind, so I, I just don't filter things all the time. I've been around my father-in-law too long. Not quite that bad. But, but anyway, back when my wife and myself first started dating, my wife had a friend, and he was, it, it was a he, I think. That's what it was supposed to be. And uh, so we had a little conflict going on there because I didn't care for my wife's friend too much. I felt like, you know, he'd be all right if he prayed through and, and, and got the victory over that. My wife, now, she disagreed with me. Can you believe that? Disagreed with me on that. And I told her, I said, well, let me give you... Let me, let me just, let me just give you a little story here. Said, okay, now he runs around with four of you young ladies. Yeah, he's our best friend. I said, now all of you are very attractive. Especially you, you outshine them all. I've made sure I put that in there. But I said, now tell me, has he ever hit on any one of you? Well, no, we're friends. I said, something's wrong. That's not natural. <laughs> that ain't that ain't the way it's supposed to be. I said, I seen you one time and I was already trying to talk to you. And it wasn't just to be friends. I had better things in mind. Almost twenty four years later, my goodness, I seen in the future. But but we are, we have a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful 
group of people. Look, look at these young people, man. Man. Blessings of God. Blessings of God. They have, they have the, the ability to succeed. Most of them has more education now than what we had at their age. And uh, most of them has far exceeded my education. But, but look at the work they can do for God. And the ability that they have to do something for God. I, I remember reading the speech of Ronald Reagan at the 40th anniversary of uh, Normandy Beach. The invasion of Normandy Beach. And I think it's maybe the first time that a president had went back there. I can't remember. But went back and made a, a speech in front of an audience. But they were unveiling a memorial that they were putting there. Reagan said, behind me is the memorial that symbolizes the ranger's dagger that were thrust into the tops of the cliffs. And before me are the men who put them there. He goes on to say in his speech, he said, where in this day and hour, now that was the 80s and some of you wasn't even around in the 80s, but it wasn't that long ago, contrary to public opinion. And um, but but the country was coming out of a very bad state of the military was in bad trouble. The morale of the country was in bad trouble. And Reagan was very uh, instrumental in building the morale and the the uh, military back up to what America should be and the standards and he said, people ask in this challenging time, where do we find such people? And he said, we find such people where we have always found them. We find them in the schools. We find them in the workplace. We find them running their business. We find them everywhere in America because that is the way Americans are. For this challenging time that we live in, where do we find the people who will carry on this precious gospel? We're going to find them where we've always found them. They're your children. They're my children. They're in your church. They're in my church. They're in churches across this country and across this world. They are still here. Amen. Amen. The devil is trying his best to steal our identities. The devil has been on the loose, it seems like, the last few weeks. It has been like a domino effect of troublesome things that is happening in our country. I find it very, very disturbing what has taken place. With the Supreme Court's decision, and then with the Boy Scouts' decision, and then with the President's decision of turning their back on Israel. Amen. God, now some of you is much more in-depth in prophecy than I am. I just look at the Bible and try to read the Scripture for what it means to me. And, and the Lord still said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. 
There's some reasons why America is blessed. There's some reasons why God has smiled on this country. But the world is trying to steal our identity. They're trying to make everyone look alike where there is no difference. There is no difference in gender. Just my kids begged me not to do this. Said you're not gonna you're not gonna take that to the pulpit, but I said, Yes, I am too. It just happened at the right time. Sunday morning's paper, the Houston Chronicle. The headlines is in the fashion section of the paper is Men in Lace. <laughs> I'm going to preach in just a few moments. <laughs> Y'all just bear with me in my folly just a little bit. Men in lace. The end of gender is near. They ain't come to Texas yet. They ain't come to an apostolic church yet. The end of gender is here. Now, I'm, I, this, this ain't me talking about this, so get, you know, this, this, is what, this is what they're saying. Men's wear designers are on a mission to eradicate it. I'm going to just read you some places I've highlighted. Overwhelmingly, it is men's wear designers of London to New York. Who are on a rampage to spurn on by, spurn on by men's heightened interest in fashion and shifts in social life. They are flexing their creative muscles. I don't even think they have muscles. Risking. Risking, taking a risk and a challenge to their customers to think beyond pastel and suits and leggings and a pair of skinny trousers topped off, chopped off at the ankle. That's just what the paper says. I'm sorry. If you got them on, I'm sorry, but no, I'm not sorry about that. Men don't look good in capris. It all comes from streetwear. Now listen, listen very closely in this because there's some very important points in this article. It comes from streetwear, Copen says, a designer of his subtle gender-blurring ways, his female customers might look cute and feminine, but there is something tough about them. I'm less inclined to do a pretty dress, he says. I like that is, I like that 
it's challenging and challenges traditional structure of man's clothing. With drop shoulders, soft fabric, it gives something different to wear, not just the suit and the tie, Bryce says. Designers are not just trying to put women's wear on men, but they are moving men's wear forward. Men are indulging in part because of popular culture is telling them that they can. Now, I want you to hold that point in your mind. Popular culture is telling them that they can. They might, this one guy from the 70s saying the way that he got started in this was, he might snag a pair of jeans from the women's department. If the silhouette appears appealing, they will wear women's hair clips as a lapel pin. Maybe even a little flower or something like that might do. I don't know. <laughs> we might want to have a revote right now on me preaching. <laughs> We're not going to vote right now. I'm going to get done. This generation has less concern about being judged, Harriet says. Your style is emotion. You wear what you feel. Now, I want to tell you guys and gals, if you wake up in the morning and you have the strange urge to go to your sister's closet to pick out something to wear, something's wrong with you, bro. Very, very, now listen to this, very close, very close. You say clothes don't matter. This is what the people that design these things say. His clothes, his clothes, he wasn't making a political statement. He was simply designing for the kind of life he and his friends led. Your clothes are making a statement. For those of you that that might have offended, call Houston Chronicle and complain. They sent it out Sunday. They shouldn't have done that. They just hit me at a wrong time. But I want to tell you, the devil is trying to steal our identity. In Houston, in Houston, now when you go to a restroom, it has men and women on the door because we can't discriminate against gender. Everybody's alike. 
The identity lines are being blurred. Amen. We have some things that have been handed to us that has been given to us by elders that we need to hold dear to. The devil says it does not matter. I want to tell you, fellow ministers of the gospel of my age group and younger, I will not address any of the elders or far advanced above me, but I encourage you, we must preach separation from the world. We owe it to this generation. I've heard it said, I have heard it said, and I, I, I disagree with, with that, but you might disagree with me, so take your liberty to do so. But I've heard it said, if we, if we have the demonstration of the Holy Ghost and, and miracles and signs and wonders that we won't have to worry about these things, people will line up and live right and live holy. I want to tell you, we must preach standards in the church. It does not just happen. You never have to okay anything. All you have to do is quit preaching. How long was it? How long was it after the Red Sea parted? And the children of Israel crossed over on dry ground and looked behind them. And their adversary was floating in the Red Sea. How long was it before they were worshiping the golden calf? After great miracles. How long was it after the day of Pentecost? That the Apostle Paul was addressing the church, saying there is sin among you. We've got to get rid of this. I want to tell you, the only thing that gets it out is preaching it. You've got to preach it. You've got to preach it. You've got to preach it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, the devil... The devil would like nothing, nothing better than we to fit in with this world and fit in with this world system and this ungodly way of life that the world lives. They want us to look like them. They want us to dress like them. They want us to go where they go. They want us to say what they say. Amen. But I come to tell some young people today, we have something that has been handed to us that God has given us an inheritance. And it's time for the younger generation to stand up and say, I will rise to the occasion. I've got something that's worth fighting for.
I come with the burden on my heart tonight. I come with the burning fire in my spirit to try to help some young person that is teetering on the edge and making decisions in life that will affect the rest of your entire life. I come to remind you, this way is still the right way. This way is still the good way. It's still the good way. Walk in the good way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 6 and 7, it says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful one God scripture. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have what? We have a treasure. We have what? We have an inheritance that is worth fighting for. the excellency of the power may be of God and not in us. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about glorifying ourselves, but it's about glorifying God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord bless you. You can be seated. We must never forget that we have a treasure. Don't ever forget. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44 says again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy, therefore, goeth and selleth all that he hath. And buy it, the field. You can't have the treasure without the whole deal. People like to shout. People like to speak in tongues. People like the music. People like the excitement. People like the miracles. But I want to tell you, if you're going to have it like the Bible said, you got to take it all. You got to go out and get it all. It's going to cost you something because it's an inheritance that's worth fighting for. Esau, Genesis chapter 25, 29 through 34 tells us a very sad story. Of a very, a very, uh, great, I guess he could have been great, I would say that. But he went on to do great things, but he got out of the plan and the will of God. Because he took what he had and what he was born with for granted. And he did not think highly of it. Now let's look at his blessing. There is 22 Blessings that come with the birthright. One of them is your family inheritance. 
The other is the blessings of your father. The other one is faithfulness in your offspring. The other one is personal blessings. Look at this. Faithfulness in your offspring. Faithfulness in your offspring. You're not only living this for yourself, but you're living it for the next generation. It is a blessing of power over your enemies. It is spiritual blessings of Abraham, justification by faith. All of this we find that Esau came and he was hungry and he was hot and he was thirsty. And he seen his brother cooking up something to eat and he said, give me a bowl of that pottage. And his brother looked at him and Jacob said, sell me this day your birthright. Go ahead, sell it to me. The devil's always out to make a deal. Sell me your birthright. I can imagine Esau as he looks at him and he says, man, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard for a a bowl of soup. I'm going to sell my birthright. But the hunger pains, the anxiety set in, the desire, I did not think that it was necessarily his hunger, but it was the lust of his flesh. It was the lack of self-control. That was the lack of his ability to control his own desires. I want to tell you, saints of God, I come to tell you, young people, you've got to keep your sexual desires under control and say, I'm not going to give the end to the temptations of the devil. I'm not going to sell out. I'm not going to give it up. I've got something that is worth the fight. Go ahead, Esau. Esau starts talking to his brother. And his brother talks him in to selling his birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what shall this birthright do to me? I'm at the point of being an old maid. I'm 17 and don't have a steady boyfriend. I'm at the point of never getting married. I'm 16, and no girl is interested in me. I'm at the point of dying. My life is passing me by. And my mom and daddy won't even let me go to Sonic and hang out with all the thugs. My mom and daddy won't let me go hang out at the mall all hours of the day where they're selling crack cocaine. I'm at the point of die. What is a church going to do for me? My life is passing me by. And here I am. I don't, I don't have anything to do. Man, it's Friday night. All we do is have your youth service. All we do is go to church. I don't have anything to do. All we have to do is play basketball in an air-conditioned gym. All we have to do is go on youth camps and go to youth rally. That's all we do. I don't have anything to do. I'm at the point of dying. And what in the world is this birthright going to do me any good? And he sits there and he says, okay, not ever 
thinking about the payday. And he said, okay. And Jacob gave Esau bread, pottage, and lentils. And he did eat and drink. Man, the devil knows how to do it upright, don't he? He give you more than you bargained for. Man, he's promised you just a good time. He'll go ahead and give you drug addiction on top of it. He's promised you a wonderful time just getting drunk one time and go ahead and have you to have an accident and take somebody's life where you'll have the chance to spend it the rest of your life behind bars. The devil knows how to do it just right. I'm going to give you more than what you bargained for. You can rest assured that the devil's plan is far greater than your ability to even understand or comprehend. Esau ate. The Bible said, thus Esau despised his birthright. I have seen people that I feel that they despise being raised in a godly home. Because they don't see the benefit of the inheritance. They despise instruction in their life because they do not understand that the instruction in their life is what's going to keep them holy and pure and safe from harm and danger. Esau despised it. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to prayer meeting. I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to have that kind of atmosphere. I want to do other things in life. He despised it. I come to try my best to encourage you young people in this place tonight. You that may be arguing with your parents. You that may be rebelling against your pastor. Your parents that's godly and your man of God that's preaching to you is the greatest asset that you have in life. Esau sold his family's inheritance, the birthright. What a thing to give up for a bowl of pottage. He didn't really feel any different. He'd come into the house just like he always came. He'd come to church just like he always come to church. He sang in the choir just like he did before. He got up there and done the the Holy Ghost shuffle just like times before. But something was missing. You can play music. You can shout. You can come to church and still be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. 
Because when you sell out, nobody else may know it. But you and the devil knows that there's a deal been made. And there's a payday someday, my friend. That day came for Esau as his dad was getting ready to bless the family. And he comes in after Jacob had came in. And he says, I'm sorry, but I've already blessed Jacob. Bless me, even me, now, my father. The Bible tells us that Esau in the New Testament was a profane person. He sought repentance carefully with tears, but he could not find it because he sold something that was valuable. The old way is still the good way. Jeremiah 6 and 16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old path. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. If we want the inheritance, we must come out from among the world. And 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The devil is always trying to make a deal. When you look into the meaning, meaning of this scripture, the interpretation that, that commentaries give in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, it's talking about come out from among them. This is what the commentary says, out from among homosexuality. Out from among all demonic power. Out from among moral decay. Out from among physical uncleanness. You must be cleansed from the body and the spirit if one wants to fulfill the promise that is given in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 16 through 18. We must come out from among the ungodly living of this world. You can't live like the world, look like the world, talk like the world, and act like the world, and have the inheritance that God has for the church. There is things that we must cut loose from if we are going to be the ones to receive the inheritance. Things that we did not have to face as teenagers. Things that certainly my parents did not have to face as teenagers. But I, I, my, my heart goes out to you today that fight the battles of Hollywood and its availability. You used to could just preach against television and that settled it. And then the invention of video and then it was television and video. I still find myself preaching against video. And it's a thing of the past. People don't even know what that is anymore. Throw away those cassettes. You don't even know what those cassette tapes are. But 
but ungodly dress that is readily at your fingertips. The lust of the world and the ability to fulfill every lustful desires by right here. You can go anywhere you want to go and do anything that you want to do. But I want to tell you, you must have some restraints in your life if you're going to inherit the promise. I don't want to put anybody else on the spot tonight. You can be seated. But I would like for you to help me one more time with crowd participation, with the, the, uh, withstanding. I want, I want all of you who have never been in the world and never tasted of the world. I, I want you to stand now. Now, if your pastor or your parents is looking, this is maybe a good time to tell a story. <clears throat> Get forgiveness later. But I want you to stand if you've never been in this world. Been born and raised in the church. Kept yourself. My goodness. Woo! I commend you today. Everybody in here ought to give them a hand clap. Keeping yourself pure. Keeping yourself holy. Keeping yourself unspotted from the world. You can be seated now. We get excited about the drug addict that's been stoned out of his mind for 20 years. And the alcoholic that slept under the bridge for 30 years. When they come in and God delivers them, they have such a tremendous testimony. Amen. Of how God's delivering power is still working. And everybody in the church stands up and shouts, and rightfully so. But I want to tell you where our biggest praise needs to go up. It's those who have held. Hold on to the inheritance. I haven't defiled myself. I haven't defiled myself with the king's meat. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We had a young lady, something that really got me thinking on these lines. A young lady last year, I believe it was, who graduated from college. I know I'm going a long time. I'm not through, so don't think I'm about to quit yet. But but uh, I may not ever get back here, and I'm going to take my time. <laughs> but But graduated from college, went through high school, went to college, got degrees, and And uh, so we was having a special service for all of our graduates. And she got up and she testified. She said, I want to thank the Lord that I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted alcohol. I've never been in ungodly relationships. I've kept myself pure. Amen. God has kept me. God has helped me. And everybody in the church said, well, that's nice. And I caught myself. I didn't even stand up. I said, well, you hypocrite, you. And I, I stood up and I said, I think I'll take a lap. And I took a lap. 
If there's anything we need to get excited about. I love you young people. I love you young people. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself holy. Keep yourself right with God. Don't get defiled by this world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil will tell you to get recognized and to get noticed. You've got to go out and build a testimony. The devil is a liar. You don't have to do drugs. You don't have to taste of alcohol. You don't have to get stoned out of your mind. You don't have to sleep around. You can keep yourself pure and godly and holy. And God is excited. The church is excited. Mom and dad is excited. The pastor's excited. You've got an inheritance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Moses. Moses placed in a basket by his parents to keep him from the Egyptians was found floating in the basket by one of Pharaoh's household. They came and they took him into the palace. But Moses had a mainstay in his life. He had a nurse that would always tell him, no, no matter what they say, Moses, no matter what they tell you, Moses, no matter what kind of religious place that you go to, Moses, Always remember this, boy. You're not an Egyptian. I come to tell some young people tonight, no matter what the, oh, hallelujah, no matter what the world is telling you, no matter what they're saying to you, that you have to fit in, that you have to blend in, that you have to carry on as this world carries on. You're not an Egyptian. You're not an Egyptian. You're an apostolic. You're a child of God. You're a Pentecostal. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You've been called out. You've been called out. You've been set apart for the kingdom of God. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Moses. I can imagine as Moses coming back from them, one of those places of worshiping of those false gods, as he steps into those closed doors and his mama shuts the door and says, boy, don't you forget, there's only one God. There's only one God. I don't care what philosophy says. I don't care what main religion might have to say. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is still one Lord. 
The devil's trying to make us fit in. The devil's trying to make us blend in with the rest of the world. But we're still one God. Apostolic, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance that's worth the fight. Moses, when he came of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I can't help it. I like the bright lights. I like the royal palace. I love the treatment that I got here. I love you. You've treated me like one of your own. But I can't stay. I can't do it. I can't hang out here. It's not what I am. It's not who I am. I can't go to the movies with you. Because it's not what I am. It's not who I am. I can't listen to that because... It's not who I am. It's not what I am. I've got an inheritance. I've got to guard it. I've got to fight for it. I've got to hold it dear. Hallelujah. Help us, Holy Ghost. He chose the backside of the desert and still of the royal palaces of Pharaoh. Because he had something that is worth fighting for. And you want to tell me, young people, that you want to give it up for a hot date? You tell me that you want to give it up for the latest rap garbage that comes across the airway? Holy Ghost, help us today. Help us today. I'm trying to tell you, don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. Don't go the way of the world. You want to give it up for your friends? You want to give up this inheritance for your friends on Facebook that want to talk about the church, that want to talk about your pastor? Oh, I I better back up and hit that again. I hit a nerve right there. But you want to say, oh, I don't believe what they're saying. But you want to listen to their filth and their garbage that they are promoting. I'm telling you, young people, you've got something so precious. You've got something so dear. You've got something so valuable. Don't give it up. Don't give it up. Don't sell out. As Moses stepped out of the royal palaces, started walking across a hot burning desert, 
He looks in front of him and it's nothing but hot sand. And he looks behind you. Talk about the pull of the world. And he looks behind him. You're next in line, Moses. There's a possibility you see that throne sitting back there. You're going to sit on that throne one day, Moses. As Pharaoh's daughter comes out, Moses, don't go, Moses, don't go. And you say some little old girl's getting you out of the kingdom of God and out of the church. Are some boys worth throwing in the towel over? I come to try to stir your spirit up tonight. I come to try to preach the word of God into you to help Help you understand it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. We've got an inheritance. Moses, Moses, you wasn't created to lead Egypt. Moses, you wasn't created to be in Egypt. Moses, you wasn't created to do this. God's got a purpose. How many times has your pastor, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. How many times has your pastor got up and said, young man, you wasn't created for that, but God's got a purpose for you. Young lady, don't give in, but God's got a purpose for you. Oh, God's got a job for you to do. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. I feel the Holy Ghost wanting to work in lives right now. I feel the Spirit of God wanting to draw someone close. I can imagine Moses' feet. (laughs) Moses, have you lost your mind? Moses, what are you thinking, Moses? What's going on in your brain, man? Look at this. Man, you can become Pharaoh and you can turn God's people loose. You can get in this group and you can win the whole group. What turnip truck did you fall off of? You're not going to convince them. They're going to convince you, Moses. You better get out of Egypt and get out of Egypt now. You're hanging around in the wrong place. You're taking... Joseph, what about you, Joseph? You're away from mom and daddy. What about you, Joseph? Man, you're away from from pops. He don't know where you're at. He don't know what you're doing. Man, you're in the palace, big boy. You've made it big time. Look at you. God smiled on you. The wife is smiling on you. You know you got it going on. But something in his spirit 
went back to the day he was sitting on daddy's knee and said, son, no matter where you go in life, no matter what happens in life, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, remember this, there's a God that's watching. Don't ever forget you're special. You're special. You're special. I didn't make that coat just because you were the son of my beloved wife. But I made that coat because God has a purpose for you, Joseph. In the back of his mind. In the back of his spirit, when all hell says give in, when all hell says nobody's going to know, when all hell says you're going to get in trouble if you don't, everybody's going to look at you if you don't, go ahead, everybody else is putting it to their lips, go ahead, everybody else is indulging, go ahead, everybody else is doing it, everybody else is sexting, everybody else is looking at it, everybody else is on the website, Everybody else is talking about it. I come to tell you, you've got an inheritance. You've got an inheritance. Hear me, hear me, hear me, young people. Don't give in. Don't give in. Don't turn it over. Don't turn loose of what God has given you. Society says you must adapt to what they put out. Society is wrong. God is right. Society is wrong. The pulpit's still true. The pastor's still right. You're a liar. Somebody just shot in the devil's face. You're a liar, devil. I've got an inheritance. I've got an inheritance. I've got an inheritance that's worth fighting for. When giving in seems like the best option. When throwing in the towel seems like the thing to do. When turning it over and say, I give up, what's the use of fighting? Seems like the best thing to do. When I'm faced with pressures of life and the devil says, give in. The devil says, it don't matter. The devil says, some of your friends have... The devil says, quit screaming like that. Quit preaching against that stuff. Quit talking about that stuff. It's no big deal anyway. I hear a voice from the grave. As an old man, well, I thought he was an old man when he died. He wasn't but 61 years old. But he preached the gospel since he was 16 or 15 years old. I can hear the voice booming in my mind. Don't you give up. 
Don't you throw in the towel. Don't you quit. You've got to, I gave you something. I made the transfer. I put faith in you. I got confidence in you. These elders tonight that's in this building, young people has confidence in you. That's saying, I'm going to make the transfer. I can remember being exactly where you're at now. You say, oh man, you're too old to pay attention. You don't know what things are like. I can remember it wasn't that long ago. Raised in a preacher's home. Had everything at my fingertips to succeed. But there was some voices in my head. I would say, man, come on. You don't have to do that. Daddy's an old fogey. He don't know what's happening today. He don't know what's going on today. And the voices daily pulling at me. Daily tugging at me. Daily, daily a fight, a struggle, a battle in my mind and in my spirit. And it seems at times people would walk by and not even understand and not even know what I was going through and never pat me on the back and say, I know you're fighting a battle. But I seem to think that they would walk by me and say, you've got everything for success. You've got the world at your fingertips. But they didn't know what was going on inside my mind. I know what's happening inside of some of your spirits right now. You're fighting decisions. You're making choices. And the devil's trying to tell you it's not worth fighting for. But I come to rebuke that spirit tonight. You've got an inheritance. You've got an inheritance. You've got an inheritance. It's still worth fighting for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Joseph! What are you going to do, Joseph? Pulled. 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 Joseph, you're so cute, man. Oh, look at that. You're so, so handsome. Man. Don't you think I'm attracted, Joseph? The devil's saying, don't you think the world's attractive? Yeah, I know it's attractive. I know it's attractive. But I'm trying to remind you how beautiful the cross is. I'm trying to help you understand the cross is still beautiful. I'm sorry, but I can't stay. And Joseph leaves his coat, and he is lied on. You will be lied on for right decisions. You'll be ridiculed for making the right choices. 
But when you make the right choice, it doesn't matter if they throw you in the pen. You're still going to come out on top. Because you did not sell out. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundant. I wonder, I know it's hard for all of you to get up front. And I know some of you is up front because you want to be up front and you need to be up front. But I wonder if there's any more young people in here that you felt the Holy Ghost, that you felt the power of God drawing you to a closer walk, a deeper dedication in God. Would you just fight your way through the crowd? Would you just say, excuse me, please, I, I've got to get up front. Excuse me just a moment. Let me, let me get up there. I know you're going through problems. I know all of this is, this is not easy. But I want you to lift your hands and lift your voice to God right now. Joseph, God has a bigger plan. Moses, don't sell out, Moses. You don't belong where you're at. God has a bigger plan. There's preachers in the house. There's preachers' wives in the house. There's missionaries waiting to be developed in the house. God has a plan. God has a purpose. You're not here by accident, but by the divine plan and will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody, come on. Come on, reach out to God. Come on, reach out to God. Come on, young people. The Holy Ghost is here. The Holy Ghost is here. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Somebody get a hold of God. Come on, help me, preachers. Help me, ministers. Help me, mom and daddy. You know who your young people are. Pastors, you know who they are. You know what they're going through. You know they're struggling. God is in the house to help. God is in the house to strengthen. God is in the house right now to encourage. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Where are we going to find them? We're going to find them in the house of God. What's going to happen to the next generation? They're going to make it because we make the transfer. There's hope. The church is not in distress. I got the inside bling bling. Don't need no little bitty ringy, ringy, ringy things. Because jewelry is making up for something that you lack. But when you've got the Holy Ghost, you don't lack anything. Then you don't need jewelry. Because when you get the Holy Ghost, you get the inside bling bling. 
Somebody ought to write a song about that. I got the inside bling bling. For more information, visit our website at www.holyghostradio.com. Came to the Lord, said, 